Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back. My goodness. It has been like three whole months since I've done a podcast episode. Three months. Oh, my goodness. Thank you for hanging in there with me. I appreciate it so much. You have no idea. The fact that anybody even tunes into these and listens to them still just like blows me away. I just, it doesn't even feel like real life. And I know it's been a while, but there is a reason. I promise there is a reason that it's been a minute. This is probably one of the hardest podcast episodes that I am ever, ever going to do. It deals with something that I hate talking about. I don't like speaking about it at all. So um, it deals with grief and depression and loss. And those are not so fun things for me to think about or to deal with. I don't think they're fun things for anyone to think about and deal with. Um, But even more than that, it talks about the place it took me and that feeling of worthlessness. And I just don't like remembering those things. Um, And I think I couldn't do this episode earlier because it just had not been put on my heart or on my spirit to do it. So um, I've written this outline, believe it or not, (laughs) probably seven, eight times. But um, I just wasn't ready to share it yet. And, you know, I was driving home from having lunch with a friend today. And I called Michelle and I was like, you know what? Today's the day when I get home. I got some stuff I got to handle. But as soon as I get done, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to do it because I got to bite the bullet and do it. So um, I'm ready now. So I promise I will become more routine with my episodes once I get this one out of the way. Um, but I never, ever want to be the person that comes to anybody with half the story or with anything that is anything less than a hundred percent authentic. So it just had to wait. So I really hope you guys all understand that. So, um, thank you to all of my awesome return listeners and viewers. Um, if you want to see this stream live and have the chance to ask questions after you can just head over to my Facebook page, share will podcast, um, and like it and I will send out a broadcast through messenger every time that I go live and then we can chat on the live after Um, or you can watch the live stream of this recording on my YouTube channel as well it's under the same name Sherwell podcast and if it's your first time listening to me make sure that you check out the previous episodes and hit the subscribe button so you get notified anytime I do post a new episode okay so that's all the intro mumbo jumbo um sorry (laughs) i'm a little nervous so uh as i mentioned this episode is all about grief loss depression and the places that it takes us so um in episode number two i shared with all of you guys that i was forced into prostitution as a young adult and as a result of that i became addicted to drugs um I did escape that life and I got clean, which I thank God for every single day. But you know, I never really dealt with any of that garbage that I started dragging along the way with me because of all that. I just kind of did what I think a lot of people do. I plastered a smile on my face and assured everybody, oh, I'm great. Everything's okay. Um, I've talked to a lot of women in the last year and you know, I think that we all do that. Why? Why do we do that? Why? No one is going to love us any less if we say we aren't okay. It isn't going to kill us if we admit that we got stuff to deal with or that we ask people for help. I just, I don't get it. I don't understand why we do that. So anyway, 
<clears throat> getting a little bit ahead of myself. Sorry. Trying to stick to the outline. <laughs> um, I have suffered from depression most of my adult life. I've been kind of like an Eeyore most of my adult life. And because of the things that I've been through and the fact that I didn't deal with any of it, um, I kind of let it weigh me down. And as a result, my self-esteem, my sense of self-worth, my sense of self-love, self-care, all suffered. So I got in the habit of allowing the people in my life to treat me badly. Um, I allowed people who claimed to care about me or to love me to use me, um, to abuse me, to neglect me, and to make me feel even worse about myself. I did this for a really, really, really long time. Um, I just did not believe that I deserved any better, so I never demanded better for myself. And that just kind of fed my depression and fed those feelings of worthlessness and the growing self-doubt and the lack of self-esteem. But, of course, in true Tina fashion, I still put a big smile on my face and assured everybody that everything was okay. So let's fast forward through um, me becoming disabled, which was covered in the next episode, and the added depression that that brought into my life in 2012. Um, and then let me remind you that my brother, Howard, and I were always really, really close. Okay, I'm kind of like jumping around because I know it's coming and I'm bracing for the wave. Um, so I grew up an army brat and for those of you that are army brats, you can probably attest to this too. Your siblings closest to you in age kind of become your closest friends because you're constantly moving around and things are always changing. So that's who you hold on to. That's who you hold on to. That becomes your battle buddy. Um, so we always had like a sixth sense about each other. I knew instinctively when he needed me and he always knew instinctively when I needed him. So 2012 was a really, really bad year for me. I had let another man just wipe his feet all over me. And I had hit a really, really low, low place. And I actually had tried to commit suicide. But none of my family knew that. None of my family knew it. Um, but my brother instinctively knew. Just popped up at my house one day. And he just informed me, told me, like flat out, me, Vicky, and the boys are coming to stay with you. And that was that. Like, that's what happened. <laughs> So, um, I was grateful for it because it was just me rattling around in a five bedroom house. I was all by myself. I was depressed. Um, <clears throat> so they moved in, which I loved because, you know, Malachi and Cyrus are, those are my people. They've been really close to Aunt Tina their whole lives. So, you know, I was, I was content. Um, so right around Christmas, my brother lost his job. So he said he was going to get another one soon. I wasn't super worried at the time because I knew tax season was right around the corner, that if things were slow right now, things would work out. But when he wasn't working by April, I was like, yo, you have got to get it together, brother. You've got to pull it together because I'm disabled. I only get a disability check. I can't take care of you, your wife, and your kids, and myself. So something that I haven't shared with you about my brother is that my brother had a pill addiction. Um... He had it for years and years. Um, it wasn't any, it's not any breaking news story or special story. It happened the same way that it happens to most people in that circumstance. Um, he got hurt at work and the doc kept giving him pills until he didn't. And then he just started getting them wherever and however he could. 
So he was having a hard time finding work as a plumber because those guys talked to each other. We had to sit down and have a little heart to heart. And I was just like, what are you doing? Like, seriously, what are you doing? You have a wife, you have children that you've got to take care of. And I know that you're better than this. I know you are. So he kind of broke down and started crying and <clears throat> we had a long talk and um, <clears throat> he was like, I need your help. Can you please help me? So, of course, yes, yes, of course, I'm going to help you. That was a week before Easter. So he quit the pills cold turkey. He brought everything to me. We flushed them down the toilet. He just quit them cold turkey. So Easter Sunday... He and his wife took my youngest brother, Clint, back to Midland to go back to work. And I was in bed asleep. And the sheriff comes and comes and wakes me up and tells me I need to get up and come get my sister-in-law. Because my brother's in the front yard and the EMTs are working on him. And she keeps trying to get to him and it's really upsetting her son. And we don't want to have to put her in handcuffs. Can you please come get her and get her under control? <clears throat> so, of course, I jump up out of bed and I run. Um, he had had a massive heart attack sometime during the last five minutes of the drive home. And they said that uh, he died the minute that it happened. But, of course, EMTs with the medications and stuff got his heart going again with the breathing tube and all that. Um, but the next day, we had to take him off of life support. Um, and it stunk because, you know, when that happens, you can't immediately go to the hospital. Like, I don't know if any of you have ever dealt with this, but uh, when something like that happens, the police automatically come out to do a death investigation. Um, or at least in Texas, that's how it is. So we couldn't go immediately following the ambulance. And as of course, at the time, they hadn't told us he was dead the minute it happened. All we know is they've gotten his heart started again. He's, you know, got the tube in his throat to help him breathe. And they're taking him to the hospital. So I get on the phone with my dad. And I'm like, Dad, look, this is what's going on. We can't leave to go to the hospital yet because we have to give our statements to the police. And then we'll be that we're going to stop and get Malachi from school. And then we're on our way. So we get up to the hospital and my dad comes walking out as soon as we're coming up trying to find out where they're at. And he gives us this thumbs up sign like, hey, he's all good. Because he was stopping everybody in scrubs that walked by. And a little nursing student stopped and said, oh yeah, he's great. He's sitting up in bed, he's talking everything. So we're all sitting out there celebrating because we're like, oh my God, thank God. She was a nursing student and went and checked on the wrong room. So, um... They take him up to medical ICU and everybody's going into the room to see him. And Sai's going in the room right in front of me. And as soon as he sees his dad in the bed, he turns around and his face lands right in my chest. And he's like, I can't go in there. I can't go in there. And I had to tell him, you know, I don't want to go in there either. But this may be the last time that we get to see your daddy and talk to him. So do you want to go in with me? And he was like, yeah, but can you please stay with me? So... I stayed with him <clears throat> and we prayed and we talked to him and 
you know, we did all the things that families do in that situation. And uh, we had just got home that night and we got a call from the doctor saying he had just failed his last apnea test and that we needed to get our family together. But they were recommending that we take him off of life support. So the next morning, that's what we did. And all I could think about standing in that hospital room watching his sons and his wife lay across his body crying. Watching my mom and dad as they were falling apart because they were saying goodbye to a child. Was who was going to be my friend now? Who's going to be there for me now? And then I immediately felt guilty for thinking that. I mean, it was a fleeting thought, but I beat myself up about it for the next three years. Like, I had hit him with a car or something and made him die. <clears throat> so, of course, deeper down the rabbit hole I went. Um, <clears throat> so, we moved in with my mom and dad because every time I walked outside, I saw my brother laying there in that front yard. <clears throat> and I also needed to step in and help take care of mom. Because my sister had been doing it previous, my sister-in-law had been doing it previously, and she just couldn't. So, um, mom had been disabled and needed around-the-clock care for about 10 years at this point. So, um, <clears throat> she had to be a mom and dad to two teenage sons, and she was dealing with grief, so I needed to step up and step in. So, it was quite the adjustment, <laughs> um. My mom and I had been like oil and water my whole life. Like, we were not close at all. We had different views on decisions that um, I had made in my life, and we fought like cats and dogs about it all the time. We had wasted so much time being angry with each other. But when we finally got the chance to sit down after my brother passed away, and we got on the same page because <clears throat> neither of us wanted the last thing that we did or said to be unkind, it helped mend things a little bit. It really helped us. But my mom was not easy, okay? In her healthy days, my mother was a freaking force of nature. But since she had gotten sick, it's like she reverted backwards. So just think of an adult in the terrible two-phase. She would throw fits. She didn't want to do what she needed to do. And then she would end up back in the hospital. Then she'd come home, do what she was supposed to do for a little bit. And then the cycle would start all over again. So <clears throat> my days were, needless to say, kept very, very busy with her. But I felt completely alone. I would sit in my room or in the bathroom by myself. And I would just cry for like no reason. I was in a house full of people and I felt absolutely alone. But of course, I couldn't tell anybody, couldn't ask for any help. So what did I do? I put a smile on my face, smiled real bright and told everybody, everything's great. I'm okay. So my aunt, my mom's baby sister, came to live with us right after my sister-in-law and the boys moved out. And I finally felt like I had someone who got it. I felt like I had a friend. I had someone I had a connection with. But it was very short-lived. Um, she had to have back surgery and since then I haven't seen hiding her hair of my friend. She's on pills. She's tried to kill herself twice. Um, and I've had to deal with all that. So <clears throat> on top of that, my sister-in-law cut all contact with us because we didn't condone the drug use that she fell into or the hell that she was dragging my nephews through. 
And then my dad would con constantly say one thing to me that just would make me so angry. He would say, I miss my wife. And I was like, I do not understand what you mean. She's right there. Um, and then I would feel guilty about that. So <clears throat> I would put all this on and lay it on my shoulders like it was a fur coat and walk around with that thing on in the 100 degree heat. Like, <clears throat> it did not make any sense, but I would just wear all of it like it was all my fault. And it would cause me to sink even lower and lower into depression. So I got to where I wouldn't go out with my boyfriend. I wouldn't do anything. I, did, I would take care of the house, take care of my mom. I would make dinner. And I was in my room for the rest of the night. So <clears throat> and continued that way until right after Christmas of 2014. Um, my mom had to go to the hospital again. But this time it was because she couldn't breathe. It wasn't because she was swollen. She couldn't breathe. So they had to put her on a vent for three days and do a bronchoscopy and clean the gunk out of her lungs. So that scared her. She comes home and she rebounds like she always does. And she's like, I'm sticking to it. I'm doing everything that I have to do because that scared me. So she sticks to it. Well, by the end of January, we had to call 911 again because she couldn't breathe. And she had to go back to the hospital. <clears throat> Only this time, every time they take her off the vent, they can't get her to breathe normally. So they do another bronchoscopy. And I'll never forget um, sitting in that doctor's office. You know it's bad when they separate you from the waiting room or the hospital room to sit down and tell you stuff. You know some bad stuff's coming. So I'll never forget that doc sitting down and telling us that she had something called crystal lung. And I looked at him like, that's not even a real thing. <laughs> but it's basically where your lung is so scarred that it doesn't start, it doesn't function anymore. So her lungs were so scarred that one was only at 3%. It was only functioning at about 3% and the other side was only functioning at about 12. So they sent her home on oxygen and hospice. Um, when she first came home, she was being so stubborn and pigheaded about getting up that me and my dad both half expected her to rebound again. But after a day or two, she was dropping weight like crazy. Her strength was diminishing and I had to watch the sports of nature waste away over the next 28 days here it comes again guys sorry and it was really weird because i was the only one that could calm her i was the only one she would eat for and then when she couldn't eat i was the only one who could get her to take fluids through a syringe and then when she started choking i was the only one she would let rub ice on her lips i cleaned her i bathed her i brushed her hair and I watched her go through the stages of deaths in slow motion until on March 1st of 2015, my mom actually died in my arms. And I thought that because of how sick she had been <clears throat> and how distant we had always been with each other that it would be like when my grandma died or when I lost my brother, but it was so much worse. Um, right after we knew she was gone, I jumped up and ran out of the room and I locked myself in the bathroom and I just cried so hard that I couldn't breathe. Um, then I had to tuck all that in because in my mind, you got to put your game face on. You got to be strong for these boys, be strong for dad, be strong for Gabby, be strong for everybody. You can't break. 
So I put another smile on my face. I planned her services with my dad. I picked out her dress. I coordinated with family traveling in. I gave her eulogy. So on the outside, I was stoic. I was strong. I was together. But inside, I was falling apart. But I still just pasted that smile on and told everybody that I was fine. I was so worried about my dad and losing him too that I had to, I felt like I had to put a strong face on. I would walk in to check on him and he'd be staring at her picture just crying. And I didn't know how to console him. <clears throat> but about two weeks after we lost mom, we went to the cemetery and they had put her marker on her grave. And I just remember feeling like someone had knocked the wind completely out of me. My dad said I hit my knees and I just started crying so hard that I was shaking and I just would not stop. I didn't come to until um, I was in the hospital about three days later. Um, I'd had a nervous breakdown. It's a real thing. Like I had had a complete nervous breakdown. So <clears throat> I get home and... I'm encouraging my dad, you know, like, you can't sit around here and be depressed. You have, you've got to meet people. You made mom a promise. Mom made him promise he would go find someone. So <clears throat> I set him up on the internet on dating profiles. He met a lady, like, the first night. She turned out to be a little crazy. But then he met Brenda. Um, and within a month, he had moved with her and been like, here. And he was like, here, here's the house of church. Bye. And everything that's in it, her sister, the boys, all of it, it's all yours. So he takes off um, and goes and moves in with her. So we plan a trip to go to Oklahoma together. And we're, we come home and there's sheriff's cars in the yard. They've come to pick up my baby brother, which is another episode. We're not even going to get into that. But he ended up going to jail. For um, two years and he'll, he's on probation for the next 10 years of his life um, <clears throat> and not too long after that I got a phone call that um, my boyfriend my significant other the one that I was on and off with for almost 20 years Gabby's dad uh, was at the emergency room could I get there I got up there and he had had a massive stroke with a hemorrhagic brain and he had had a hemorrhagic stroke had been having it for days and was just being stubborn and wouldn't go to the hospital and um, he lives in Chicago now um, he can't speak he can't walk he can't do much of anything he can string some words together but it's like he's trapped inside of his body and his mind and he can't get out and he gets really frustrated and I get to answer probably 30 calls at least a day from him. From happy, excited to talk to me, to depressed, crying, and someone's calling me to get him to calm down, or he's screaming at me and calling me obscenities because he's mad because I'm not there, and he doesn't understand why. So <clears throat> very rapidly, I went through a whole lot of loss is my point behind all that and it just I just gave up I quit between that and my health I just was done so I stopped even getting out of bed I stopped cleaning I stopped cooking I stopped shopping um, Malachi and Cyrus became the caretakers of the home because my aunt was doing the same stuff 
I wasn't abusing medications, but I still wasn't getting up and doing what I needed to do. So this went on for, my dad got married six months after losing my mom. Um, and I blamed a lot of it on that. But in hindsight, I don't think that's what it was. I think I needed to deal with my crap. I think that's truly what it was. I think that's what the problem was. So I went from smiling and telling everybody I was okay to just not being okay. Like I just wasn't okay and I didn't know what to do about it. So <clears throat> about a year after the nervous breakdown and dad getting married and all that, it was about at the year mark. It was right before Thanksgiving, right before Thanksgiving two years ago. Well, yeah, two years ago, right before Thanksgiving, I'm getting up, I get up out of my bed and I go to the bathroom and I'm coming back from the bathroom and I have a big long mirror in the vanity area that the vanity covers like from my bathroom all the way to my bedroom and I'm walking by and I happen to glance over I don't know why I looked over but I saw my mom looking back at me and I just turned and looked at myself in the mirror and I was like what the hell are you doing what are you doing like is this the legacy that you want to leave is this the life that you want to rem people to remember you for because this is what they will remember is this what you want? So <clears throat> I had to stand there and look at myself. And I talked to myself. Like I looked at myself and I talked to myself. And I was like, look, you cannot put the boys through this anymore. This is unfair to them. Why are you doing this to your grandchildren? Why are you doing this to your daughter? Why are you doing this to your dad? Why are you doing this to yourself? What the hell is wrong with you? You need to get it together. So I came out from the bathroom and I immediately got on my knees and I prayed. But this time I didn't pray to God for him to, and I hadn't prayed. Let me just say, I had not prayed since I had lost my brother at this point. So from 2012 all the way to 2017, five years, I did not say a single prayer. If someone said something to me about God, I didn't say anything nice back. I can promise you that because I was having a crisis of faith. I was having trouble understanding what was going on. So, but at that moment I knew that's what I needed. So I hit my knees and I prayed, but this time I didn't pray like why me or anything like that. All I did was I prayed for strength to understand and I prayed for guidance to help me lift myself out of it. And when I tell you, I will never doubt that God loves me and that he is in my life and that his spirit surrounds me. <coughs> Sorry, even my doctors will tell you. They have no clue how I got up out of that bed. They have no clue how I find the strength to deal with the pain that it causes me to get up out of the bed every single day. But I know where I find that strength. I know I found that strength through praying for it, through prayer. I know that I have that strength because I have my mother's grace watching over me. I know I have that strength because I have my grandmother's grit washing over me. I know I have that strength because I have my brother's friendship and spirit and love wrapped around me. I know where the grace is from. I know where I find the power to do that every day. 
and I know that I never ever want to return to that person again ever and it was not easy I mean I would get up and after being up moving around for like an hour my little ankles and feet would be so swollen that every time I moved it looked like they were going to explode it was bad because I was sedentary for over two years um, I had gained so much weight it was not even funny I had not done anything for myself but every day I made myself get up I would make myself get up and make my bed I would make myself get up and take a shower I would make myself get up and put clothes on and I would make myself get up and do one task and the next day I did two and the next day I did three and the next day I did four until I got to where I wanted to get up and I was looking around like, ooh, let's do this. Ooh, how about we do this over here? Ooh, how about we do that over there? And that's how Old May New was born. Because I was looking around at this house that I had been left that was falling down around my ears. I had like 50 cars sitting around it in the yard. The grass was overgrown. Nothing was clean. I mean, it was horrible. It was bad because the boys didn't know what to do. I mean, they were just kids when they moved in. They had no clue. So, um, I very quickly latched onto them, apologized to them and told them, look, from here on out, we're a team and that's how we operate. We are a team. We're a team and we have each other's back no matter what. <clears throat> Do I have some things in my life today still that are negative influences on me? Yes, but I'm not to a place yet where I can deal with them. When God feels it's time for me to deal with my aunt who's still living here I love her to death but nothing's ever going to change and I know that when God's ready for me to deal with that part <coughs> and to remove that part from my, that part and that negativity from my life he's going to show me how to do it and he's going to give me the strength to do it um, and that's how I start every single day I start every morning with a devotional and I pray and I pray every morning for the understanding for anything that's to come or anything that's happening. And I pray for the strength and guidance to deal with it. That's it. <clears throat> so all of the loss and the grief and the feelings of worthlessness. Now I know what I deserve and I demand that others treat me better. I don't allow people to walk on me anymore. I don't allow people to use me as a doormat. I'm a kind-hearted person, so I'm very giving of my time. I'm very giving of myself. But if you attempt to use me or to hurt me, I promise you, you won't get a second opportunity to do it. Because I've just reached a point in my life where I know that I deserve better than that. I know what I deserve. I know what I'm worth. I know that... I am something of value. I am God's creation. And I know I'm not done yet. Or God would not have allowed me to live through all of that. And he wouldn't have given me the strength to lift myself up out of it. So <clears throat> if you're struggling with loss, if you're struggling with something that you've dealt with, if you're struggling, if you're pasting a smile on your face, and telling everybody everything's okay and you're not okay, find your person. If you can't find your person, hit your knees and just pray for the strength to find your person. 
Pray for the strength to find that person that's going to help you. Pray for the guidance to lead you to that person that's going to help you. And pray for the strength and understanding to deal with what you're dealing with. Because God has the power to pull that off your heart. He has the power to heal your spirit. And I can tell you that because he healed mine. I've went to counseling. I've went to groups. I've talked to my priest. I've done all those things. But the biggest part of my healing, I know, came from God. I know that's where it came from. And I can say that with 100% absolute certainty. So, <clears throat> I appreciate you guys struggling through this one with me. Um, I hope it wasn't too much all over the place. And just know that if you need someone to talk to, you can always reach out to me and I will listen if you need someone to listen. If you need a shoulder to cry on, I will listen. Um, but just know, by the same token, like I said in the beginning, I'm never going to come to you with half the story and I'm never going to be anything than 100% authentically myself. If... <clears throat> What you're going through is some bullshit and you just need to pull yourself out of it. I will probably tell you that too. But I'll also be the same person there cheering you on and helping you and supporting you while you do it. So thanks so much, guys, for listening to another episode of Share Well. Um, hopefully, I will be back with another episode within the next two weeks. That's my goal. Um, if not, get on me about it. Make me feel bad so that I make myself do it. Because now it's like my life is not just, it's not because I'm laying in the bed or I'm depressed. It's because I have so many things and so many passions that my time is not my own anymore. But that's a good thing because God's blessing me every day to be able to get up, take breath, find the strength to get up and move. And he's putting passion in my heart again and joy in my heart again to where I get up and greet every day with excitement. And, you know, just I know today is going to be a good day because we're doing this. I know today's going to be a good day because I'm doing that. Even if it's something that I really don't like doing, I still get excited about getting up and doing it because there was a time when I wasn't excited about anything and I didn't want to get up. I didn't care if I stopped breathing while I slept. I prayed for it. So... You know, or wished for it because I wasn't praying to anybody. I was wishing for it. So, you know, <clears throat> now it's a very different place that I'm living in. I'm grateful. I'm very, very grateful to have the life that I have today. And I promise you I wouldn't have any of it without the grace of God. I promise you. And I didn't mean this to turn into a God thing. I'm going to tell you guys straight up what happened. My original outline got deleted and I thought I had copied the whole thing. And it stopped right after the nervous breakdown. So I've been going straight off the hip since after the nervous breakdown. That's what's going on. So that means God wanted you to hear that message. Because I don't normally put God in anything that I post on social media or that I broadcast. So there you go. All right. So God bless all you. Thank you for um, listening. And I hope you hit the subscribe button and come back to listen to what I have going on next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.